Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 697 for August 23rd, 2021. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is the awesome Bodie Grimm of the Kilowatt Podcast. Now, you might remember hearing him when he interviewed Steve and me about our Tesla vehicles, things that we found fiddly and didn't like about them. But I decided I wanted to turn the tables and get him on our show. How are you doing today? I am very good. Thank you very much for having me. All right. So uh, first of all, let, tell people what the Kilowatt Podcast is all about. Uh, we cover electric vehicles. And Tesla is not the only company that builds electric vehicles. So we cover electric vehicles and renewable energy, mostly. And then we do some some space stuff as we as it's interesting, I guess. Okay, so one of the things uh, I think is easy to confuse is it, it uh, from your artwork, it looks like it's only going to be about Teslas. And I think the thing I've learned, really valuable lesson, is how many other electric vehicles are there are out there, like you said, and how good they are. Somebody was telling me, well, I don't want a Tesla, I want something with CarPlay. And I started spouting off other cars they could choose from because I knew about it because of the Kilowatt podcast. So if you're not a Tesla, you know, just diehard Tesla person, and you're curious about electric vehicles, I think you'd learn a lot from the Kilowatt podcast. Yes. You and uh, Steve have been very helpful in helping me adjust the messaging from the the uh, podcast show page. And eventually I'm going to get around to putting different vehicles on that that initial uh, show art. I just haven't yeah, done it yet. <laughs> well, I think it started, your, it, if we all ended with our podcast where we thought we were when we started, they'd probably be terrible. So uh, evolving a podcast is a good thing, right? For sure. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to get you on is in your day life, you have a very interesting job. Why don't you tell people what you do? Um, I am a engineer on a ladder truck uh, for a fire department. So basically, I drive us to where we need to go. And then let's say we're going to an auto extrication. I get the gear ready for the guys that are actually going to do the extrication, which basically means cutting somebody out of a car. And then, you know, it's more like of a su- support role when you're an engineer. Occasionally, so you are get you to technically play a firefighter? No, yeah, I am. Yeah. It, oh, okay. I started off as a firefighter. It's just one of your progressions as you promote. You promote to engineer, captain, battalion chief, division chief, and it just goes on <gasps> from there. I, I did not know that. Okay. Okay. So trained as a firefighter, one of the subjects we want to get into here is um, I want to understand the difference between uh, internal combustion engine fires and electric vehicle fires, because there's been a lot of information about that, whether it's true or not. And I wanted to kind of clear things up and understand it better. But before we get into that, uh, we wanted to talk about the recent announcement very recently in the last uh, what week or two that the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration is going to be investigating Tesla's autopilot system. And it's specifically over crashes when in autopilot into emergency vehicles. Is that is that a good dis- overall description of it, Bodie? Nailed it. Ooh, only because Bodie t- told me what it was right before we started recording. <laughs> so the headlines, if you don't pay attention like I didn't originally, I was like, wait a minute, if it's only 11 crashes, that's not bad over the number of miles. But this is very specifically crashing into emergency vehicles. So where do you want to start the, explaining to us what this is about, Bodie? And that would start with what full self-driving and autopilot are. Because if depending on how much you follow this, you may or may not have a good understanding of what uh, what these services do to you or do for you, I guess, um, <laughs> okay. in this case, do do you. Um, so and autopilot this isn't is specific. This isn't specific to Tesla. This is generic terminology, correct? Um, the levels, yes. Uh, full self-driving and autopilot are specific to Tesla. Uh, okay. Ford has something called Blue Cruise and Hyundai has something else. But this is specific, um, the, the accident specific to Tesla, but the levels of autonomous driving they're they're not specific to Tesla. So you have level zero, which is no automation at all. Your standard uh, run-of-the-mill car 10 or 15 years ago. And then you have level one, which is some driver assist features. Like if you were to put your blinker on and somebody's in your blind spot, it's going to chirp at you and give you a visual cue. And oh, then you okay. have level, level two, which is partial autonomy. And this is going to be like lane assist. And uh, maybe there's adaptive cruise control that will keep you behind a vehicle at a certain distance. And actually, Teslas right now are at a very advanced level two, but they're not at like level three. And if you want, we oh, can really? stop there since we, we don't actually cross that threshold to conditional, okay. which is level three. <laughs> but oh, as you get further, as you get further into the 
levels. It's just how much more do you need to intervene with the car to make it go from point A to point B? Wow. So what they call autopilot is only considered level two partial automation. Yeah. To the best of my knowledge, nobody has level three. Like Google's testing uh, in my area, driverless cars. And um, I've been in a couple and it's like a 14 year old that's never driven before. That's kind of <laughs> like, they're not awful, but there are times when uh, uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to get an accident or it doesn't feel comfortable making left turns if you're in the right lane. So it'll uh, go up and around and take you through a neighborhood that you didn't need to go through to make a left turn so it could make a right turn. <laughs> okay, that's funny. I love it. That, yeah, classic 14-year-old. Well, I hope you don't have 14-year-olds driving where you are. But uh, um, okay, so that's really interesting. I didn't realize it was that low. Uh, what, about, what about these um, trucks that they've got running by themselves now? Aren't those a higher level than partial automation? I think those are still in testing. So I don't, I don't like that you're talking about the semi trucks, like what Volvo's yeah. doing and stuff. I think those are still in testing. I don't, they have something, I can't remember what it's called. It's, it's not convoy mode, but it's kind of like convoy mode where they just kind of sync up as you drive down the freeway. Yeah. If yeah. that's what you're talking about. I don't think those are uh, approved on any level. I think they're just testing them right now. Okay. Cause there was a rerun on uh, 60 minutes of something we'd seen before, which was uh, semi trucks that were, Pretty much fully automated. They did have a driver behind the wheel, but um, they showed her driving, you know, definitely not intervening at all on the vehicle. And it was a lot more efficient and, you know, didn't require the uh, the driver to be, you know, fully on their game like it does if the driver's completely in control, I think. So, okay. Right. So partial automation. What, what does partial automation mean then? It's going to be like your your lane assist. It's going to be with with Tesla. It's a little more advanced because you can put in an address, and the car will basically take you from your driveway to that address, more or less. You know, it'll stop at the stop signs, it'll stop at stop lights, that kind of thing. But for your average car, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's it's going. To, you're going to pick a lane, and it might help you get into the next lane if you hit the blinker, which uh, which is what a Tesla does. But if if you don't have that feature, you know, you'd have to switch lanes and things like that. But it's basically going to keep you in the lane that you're in and a, a safe following distance from the car in front of you is what most cars have. I'm sure there's a lot more features that fall under that that I'm not mentioning, but it's kind of your your basic level two. Okay. So uh, just for your information, I find that the Tesla is always telling me to change lanes. It seems to think that I want to be in the uh, in the fast lane at all times. It's like, no, I'm not driving as fast as the car's in the other lane. It's going, yeah, but look, it's open. I could get you over there. Just just get, uh, give me the signal and I'll move over there. I'll do it for you. And it's also, I think I said this on your show, um, it's a jerk. I mean, it will just yeah. pull right in front of people. I mean, safely, sure. But the kind of move that might get you a hand motion from the driver behind you, it's its its a little annoying. I would like it to be a little mellower about it. It's very rapid, too. It's like, Rrr! Yeah. Other vehicles, like the Ford Mach-E, they have this thing. They have, like, three different modes. It's like whisper mode, engage mode, and unbridled. Tesla it seems like it's always an unbridled mode. It's like <laughs> it's a race car, and it's going to go as fast as it humanly can to get to where it needs to go, like within reason, within safety, right? Um, I just recently test drove a Mach-E and the whisper mode was just like, you can still go very fast in this car, but the whisper mode was like driving a 1980s Cadillac. Like it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't as smooth, but it just felt like smooth as ride wise, but acceleration and everything. Mellow. Yeah. It was just nice. It was just really nice. <laughs> so, yeah, but you have I, a yeah. performance, so you can't expect your performance model three to not want to, to get into that, <laughs> that lane and go. Yeah. No, to be fair, it won't go faster than you tell it to when you said as fast right. as it could go. I'm, I'm, I'm telling it, um, I like to drive like maybe 68, that kind of, that kind of speed. And, but it'll still want me to go in the fast lane when cars are passing me in the fast lane. And I don't think that's quite what it should do, but just let you know, it does offer to you. Okay. So now yeah. we understand what partial automation is. What is, what is the, uh, NHTSA investigating? What, what's happened? So according to the articles that I've read, is this is going to impact 750,000 vehicles. And that's around that number. And that's important because that's most of the Tesla's fleet. 
And I'm hearing like a lot of words where they say, well, this is going to be a recall, recall, recall. We'll, we'll get into that in just a second. It's not going to be a recall. Um, but you say impacts, it'll, if they find that they need to do corrective action, it would affect right. 750. We don't know would, what their findings are going to be yet. Correct. And it could take several years for us to do, to finally, uh, for them to rule on what the, their recommendation is. Cause they don't have any sort of enforcement arm. They can only make recommendations. Okay. So the emergency vehicles, there's 17 people have been injured and 11 crashes are being investigated. That doesn't mean more people haven't been injured or more crashes haven't happened. I'm, I'm going to guess it's not much more than 11, but because I hear about most of them when they happen. But just in general, um, that's that's what they're focusing on. That's the scope. So right. uh, the the New York Times article I read said uh, 17 injuries, like you said, but it also said one death. Oh, did it? I, yeah. I must have missed the death. Okay. But that, yeah, that's good to know for sure. <clears throat> okay, so this is 11 total crashes of into emergency vehicles of all Teslas on the road in all time? Or was that it's like pretty this much year? All. I don't think it includes early model S's that didn't have this uh, advanced of technology. It doesn't include the Roadster. So it's, it's probably like 2014. They didn't give a time, but it's probably okay. like 2014, 2015 until current. I'm just kind of trying to scope it like that. That's all tragedies, but that's a lot of miles driven too by a lot Correct. of vehicles in that length of time. Billions. Billions. Okay. Yeah. So we, we talked about a little bit like the recall. This isn't going to end up in a recall no matter what happens because they can't, they can't take the, the Tesla hardware that the little computer, they can't do that. They can't just swap that out. They, they would have to swap out everything. So what Tesla is going to likely do is they're either going to improve features in these vehicles or they're just going to limit the people that bought their vehicles, which I'm sure will cause a ton of lawsuits. But they'll limit the those people that can't have the – the um, they don't have the processing power for the update. They'll just limit what they can do if it, if it really okay, comes so down to it. The ones that can be updated would be – it's a firmware update. Like I, I right. don't know whether the audience realizes this, but with a Tesla, you get you get software updates. We get them all the time. Uh, we're on the fast track for them, but we get little updates. And sometimes they're a pretty major visual change or physical change the way things work. Uh, but they can change the software, right? That That's kind of an advantage to this. Correct. Correct. And then – and it's – like I said, it's unless something awful happens, it's very unlikely that they're going to do a hardware recall. Uh, Tesla just might throw money at the people that they have to limit the features for versus replacing all that hardware. Because that can be very expensive, especially okay. since the cars really weren't designed for that. Okay. All right. So let's talk about how this automation works. Uh, the the um, driver assist or would it autopilot how it works and why it might be going wrong. So you, you had mentioned this before you like to drive at 68 miles an hour. So I'm, I'm going to use you as an example. So we have this beautiful model three performance. You set your following distance. What's your, what would you like to follow at? How many car lengths? I think, I think I'm at four, possibly three. Okay. We'll say four is a good number. So, Let's say you're on the freeway. This might be like lying about how much I weigh, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I use seven. Yes, seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you set that on the steering on the uh, steering column. There's a little roller wheel, and you tell it how far away you want to drive. You want to be a jerk and be at one, or do you want to be mellow at four? Correct. So let's say you're on the freeway. It's not too terribly busy. You're in the far right lane, which is the slow lane here in the United States. And the car in front of you slows down from 68 miles an hour to 45 miles an hour. Your car is going to slow down because you want to keep that distance, right? Mm -hmm. Allison's car might want to say, hey, jump into that left lane. But for the <laughs> most part, unless she tells it to jump into the left lane, Allison's car is going to slow down. Mm -hmm. Well, what Allison didn't see was there was an emergency in front of them, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in front of the car in front of her. And maybe there's fire trucks on the side of the road. That car does the responsible thing and moves to the left to give the fire truck some space. The Tesla sees that as open road now. It doesn't recognize parked oh. vehicles very well. So now it sees it as open road. So now it's going to speed up to 68 miles an hour and, until it gets to that next car. But because it doesn't really recognize parked vehicles, that's when it hits a, a vehicle. And that could be anything. It could be a garbage truck. 
It can be a fire truck. It doesn't really matter. It, it's just a parked vehicle. Now, I, I'm surprised you say it doesn't recognize parked vehicles because when I'm driving, I see parked vehicles all the time. And I mean, that's I, a really good point. And I get little indicators like in, on my, my – it'll do like a little arc of yellow uh, when I'm getting a little close to a car on the right uh, when I'm driving. So it sees them. At least it's showing so, me. Yes. And that's a really good point because Tesla software has evolved over the years. And honestly, I can't tell you what – it's been a while, maybe a year since I've found uh, – since I've heard of it hitting an emergency vehicle. So it's not that it doesn't recognize it. I don't think it just – I don't think it really recognizes how far it's sticking out or, or whatever it's or adapts. Yeah. I don't two, think it adapts. These two algorithms, right? It, it, right? it might know it's there and it also knows it's supposed to speed back up, but it's not blending those correctly yet. Right. So what Tesla's trying to do and w- with AI, uh, Elon was AI day that happened last week. Elon was very uh, purposeful in saying that they're building very narrow AI. So they use AI and machine learning in the vehicles. So the freeway, there's rarely ever any stoppage on the freeway. And unless you live in LA, then it's all <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, what are you talking about? We only have stop traffic. <laughs> um, but if, if, if traffic is moving, the easiest thing for the Tesla to do is to continue moving. Like it's using the vehicle in front of it, or maybe no vehicle, depending. It's using the parameters that you set plus the vehicles in front of it. And for whatever reason, it doesn't recognize the parked vehicles as uh, something that it could hit. And most of these things that were occurring were at least four years ago that I can remember start hearing about it. So I think with the way Tesla's updated their, their uh, autopilot and full self-driving, this may have been fixed. Tesla hasn't made any sort of official announcement about it. So I'm guessing it hasn't been fixed, but because of that, a lot of these happened more than a year ago, which in Tesla timeline is is uh, several updates. So I yeah. don't know because it's not current. It may not even be an issue by the time they're done doing their their investigation on that current be, cars. That would be good news <laughs> for sure. Right? For sure. Um, so, I'm looking. I just found a Fortune article that refers to a 2018 accident in Culver City, which is uh, up the road from us, where it hit a parked fire truck. Yeah, that might actually be the one that we were talking about earlier offline about where the driver admitted he wasn't paying attention. I know it was somewhere in that general area. Oh, okay, okay. All right. So um, that's the the basics of the problem. Uh, do you have some examples of of where this has happened? Yeah, so in Russia, a gentleman had his brand oligarch, had his brand new Model 3 cruising down the freeway, and something similar happened, and he hit a parked tow truck that was loading up a vehicle that had been in an accident. That car caught on fire. Everybody got out safely. Um, just Which the car Culver caught on City, fire? The Model the, 3 caught on fire oh, okay. after it hit the tow truck. Okay. So that kind of ties us into our next topic. Right. Um, and then, then there's multiple accidents where they just kind of – hit the back of a fire truck for the reasons we've already explained. And then an Apple engineer a couple of years ago hit a barrier that a concrete barrier on the freeway. And he, he ended up passing the car caught on fire and he passed away sadly. But um, the little crash arrester, those little metal things that are supposed to slow you down before you hit that unmovable concrete barrier that had been removed because there was a crash there, I think a day before or something they oh, hadn't replaced geez. it. Oh, so sadly he geez. passed away. So the the safety mechanism of the road itself, um, right? Yeah, but but he was on autopilot. He was on autopilot, and later it came out. And I'm not like throwing shade at somebody who passed away, but it later came out that he was playing a game on his phone on his way home as well. Mm. So, and he had already reported that his car acted weird in this this one specific location, oh, and uh, and he had reported that to Tesla, I think twice. I might be misremembering oh, wow. some of the details, but yeah, it's a sad, sad deal. You know, I'm, I'm, I've got a friend, I will not out who they are, who <sighs> told me that they drive their um, Tesla on, on autopilot so that they can text. And he said, I was texting before, now I'm texting, but I'm safer. And it's like, you know, there was another option. You know, there was another choice you could make, not texting. You know, you could do that. 
and it's just so you know it, it's hard to to protect against stupid if that's if that's the case um yeah i know that tesla's gotten a lot of um uh comments about maybe they shouldn't call it autopilot if it's not really autopilot right and I think that's a fundamental understanding of misunderstanding, I guess, of what autopilot is in an airplane because the pilot still has to take off and land. If conditions get too hairy, the pilot still needs to take control of the plane. However, the name autopilot does bring up, you know, I, I can just cruise and not do anything or even pay attention. So it, yeah, I see both sides of it. Um, like I, I grew up in Alaska. There's lots of uh, pilots in Alaska. I, I was very familiar with what autopilot was before um, Tesla decided to use it as branding for their self-driving uh, service. But, you know, a lot of folks, if they, if they don't fully understand what autopilot is, then it makes sense that you're just going to put it on autopilot and you don't have to do anything. Yeah. I, I'm a big believer that trying to design systems that count on humans to be intelligent is just the 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 road to to failure, right? That's that's a fool's errand. That we need to always make it where you don't depend on people to be intelligent and paying, you know, doing the right thing. It's like a lot of people talk about. Well, if we just taught people good password hygiene, we'd be fine. I think we need to do that, but that's not the answer because we're not going to do it in the end. You know, the vast majority of people are not going to do that, and so you just we need to come up with ways that get around the, the kind of things we're going to do anyway. Yeah. And I mean, I, I end up correcting this, but if I'm in a hurry and I have to create an account or somewhere, or if I have to reset my password, I'm like, I'm just going to put a quick password in that I know. And then I'll I go back and fix I'll... it. <laughs> right. But, but the nice thing is, is like when I do that, it saves it in one password and then one password would be like, Hey, you've reused this password or you've done this or you've done that. So it gives me a little nanny uh, nagging. To let me know that, you know, you need to correct these things. And yeah, the Tesla yeah. does does its fair share of nagging. Actually, how I describe this to people is the full self-driving and autopilot is like having another set of eyes in the car that doesn't constantly nag you. Like it nags you a little mm -hmm. bit, but it's not a constant nag. But it's not designed to be the only set of eyes. It's just designed to be a second set of eyes to help you. Not get that's in an a, accident. That's a good description of it. Uh, you know, in some ways, when I'm driving on on autopilot, I am more anxious and paying more attention. Like I trust me alone. You know, intellectually, I trust the car more. Emotionally, I trust me more. I know I'm wrong. I am a hundred percent certain I'm not a better driver than the car. But when I've got autopilot on, I am like like. I don't know, a, a shot of adrenaline in me constantly as I'm afraid it's going to do something wrong. Um, maybe that wears off if you do it enough, because I don't do it all that often. Um, but one thing I've noticed, and, and we haven't explicitly said this in this particular episode, is with the Tesla, when you're an autopilot, after a certain length of time, it makes you grip the wheel and give it a little twist, you know, give it a little tension so that it knows you're paying attention. And it blinks, it blinks a blue light on the, or, you know, blue area on the screen. And then uh, if you don't do it, uh, it starts making noise and, you know, it, it escalates from there and eventually it'll disable itself and you're not allowed to have autopilot anymore. But I uh, found out a while ago that you can, you don't have to grip the wheel. The problem with gripping the wheel is if you do it too hard, it kicks it out of autopilot. So it's, it's an annoying way to fix it. You can tell it you're paying attention by moving the scroll wheel on the right. So you just go up, down, and that, that would change. I think that changes your speed. And, uh, but it would, you just go up a mile, down a mile, and then it goes, oh, okay, she's there. But I've started noticing it is now nagging me to do that approximately every 90 seconds. I yeah. swear that used to be a lot longer. And now it's like, are you there? Are you there? Are you there? Are you sure? Are you sure? It's like, come on. I, that, that, that came up recently, but it's because the, all of these like consumer reports, which I like consumer reports. I actually subscribe to consumer reports, but some of the things they do are just silly, but they showed how you could circumvent the safety measures of a Tesla. And it's not hard, but it's not hard to circumvent the safety measures of anything. Like yeah. you, if you want to do something, you can do it. Um, yeah. The, I mean, I'm not against it telling me to do it. I was just surprised to see the frequency increasing as much as it is. And it might be because I'm doing it with the scroll wheel. I haven't done an AB test, you know, to see whether actually gripping might, might uh, pay, do a little bit more. I mean, let me go a little longer before I have to do it again. 
That's a really good point. My oldest, her and her boyfriend have a 20, uh, have a, I almost told her how old she was, her and her boyfriend mm-hmm. have a Model 3 and they're traveling around the country. And the thing that they, they hold each other accountable when driving. Like if one is touching the screen too much while they're driving, the other one says, stop doing that. And, ah. and so they make sure, and they're, they're very big into using full self-driving responsibly, which as you know, a father, it makes me happy. But also, By the way, you just called it full self-driving. I think you mean autopilot. Well, there's full self-driving and, and autopilot. So autopilot, full self-driving will take you to where you need to go, like if you put okay. in the address. And then autopilot is just everything with basic without that. Okay. Okay. So, But uh, that's still that level two, even with Correct. What, what they call full self-driving, which is not full self-driving. Correct. <laughs> I don't think autopilot will stop at the stoplights for you. Um, I think you still have to do that, which is, or go when the light turns green, which is an amazing uh, feature in a, in a vehicle, I'm, if I'm being honest. Um, <laughs> so I've never tried full self-driving in uh, stopping, you know, like city traffic. I, I, to be honest, I didn't realize I could do that. That's terrifying. Oh, yeah. it, no, it's <laughs> like, I did it here in, uh, around my house, which, you know, in the East Valley of, of the Phoenix area, there's like lots of wide roads and it's, it's probably the safest place you can do it with people actually on the road. Mm-hmm. And it works so nice. So nice. The only, uh, Tesla. the last speed ticket I, a speeding ticket I got was, or maybe the only one was probably more than 15 years ago. And it was in Arizona. And the <sighs> problem with Arizona is there's no traffic. So I don't know how fast to drive. My driving speed is limited by how many cars are in front of me, right? There's this one road, uh, it it says the speed limit's 40. I've never been above 28 miles an hour on that road. I I only know it as a curiosity because it's funny that it says 40. Because you can never go 40. At midnight, you couldn't go 40 miles an hour on this road. (laughs) Yeah. So Yeah. We have a few freeways that are awful low speeds that jump. They go from 55 to 75 and then back down to 55 again, suspiciously. (laughs) They're just trying to get you, right? (laughs) Um, so the, uh, you were, oh, before we started recording, you were giving me some insight about why, uh, electric, why emergency vehicles might be stopped where they are. Right. So first of all, it's going to make headlines anytime you crash your 60 or a hundred thousand dollar vehicle into a 500 to million dollar plus fire truck. That's going to be headlines. That's a big collision right there. But mostly the the reason why this happens is because we're trained as engineers, that's my job, to park in a way that protects the scene, protects the occupants in, in oh. the accident in this case, and then also the firefighters work on scene. So if you drive by an accident, there's multiple fire trucks there, even police um, ambulances usually park in a safe place because you don't want to get hit as you're loading a patient in. But police cars and fire trucks, when they when you drive by, watch because they usually the first truck will kind of block the accident, and then each truck that comes in after will help protect that first truck. So hmm. we just kind of build off of one another. So you stick out a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more as you go correct. back. Oh, right. Wow. The I didn't cops know that. don't like us to shut down the freeway. They get really grumpy about that. Um, <laughs> Although it, I've been on act, minor accidents with police vehicles, and they shut the whole freeway down in that case. But for your average slub, they do not uh, like us to shut down the freeway. So we'll usually take a lane. If we need two, we'll take two. Um, we try not to take too much, but it's really important because if a semi-truck hits a fire engine, well, that, that could be a pretty uh, serious accident and still injure somebody within that zone that we're, we're – that hot zone where we're working – but if they hit a, a fire truck that's behind another fire truck, everybody's going to probably be okay. Maybe the semi-truck driver. Okay. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So that's part of why they're part of why they're there. And, uh, right. They're designed they to be, be more vulnerable. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, um, I guess in a couple of years, come back and tell us <laughs> what happened on this. Uh, but let's switch gears. Okay. So in, uh, we're going to refer to internal combustion engine cars as ICE vehicles. It's a phrase that EV people use, and it seems like a, a handy little phrase there. Um, and so what I want to try to understand is the difference between an ICE vehicle fire and an EV fire and 
how you how you fix that problem, you know, how you put the fire out, what is why why are some more spectacular than others? But back us start back at the beginning of where you want us to learn about this. Okay. I think we should start at fire behavior, which is a, a very simple concept. You need a fuel, you need oxygen, and you need heat to have a fire. And in order to have a continuous fire, you need an uninhibited chain reaction. So that's that's basic fire behavior. The only way to put out a fire is to cool it, to smother it, or to remove the fuel. So basically it just burns up and and you don't have fire anymore. And, and so smothering stops the chain reaction? Correct. So you're removing okay. the oxygen at that point. So when you cool it, you're removing the heat. Smothering moves the oxygen. If it burns the fuel or you move things away from the fire, eventually it'll just burn the fuel up and that's how you remove the fuel. Okay. All right. So in your standard uh, car fire, you get a fire engine will carry between 250 and 1,000 gallons. Some carry more, some carry less. Gallons most, of water? What Water, yes. I'm sorry. Okay. So most ICE vehicles can be put out with about 500 gallons of, of water. And if you can't put your car out with 500 gallons of water, uh, you're going to get a lot of grief from everybody. Like fire trucks driving down the road somehow know that you didn't put that fire out with less than 500 gallons. <laughs> If you you mean they mo- help, you guys mock each other? Oh, mercilessly, <laughs> mercilessly. <laughs> okay, that that's a fun behind the curtain fact to know. Oh, um, I, I people do it in. I mean, we're all very professional when we're fighting a fire, but you know, there are jokes cracked inside a, a smoke filled structure. Um, I remember one yeah. time. Uh, we were up in a, a second story fighting a fire and the the ladder captain, I was on the engine at the time, the ladder captain walked up and I couldn't really see him. I saw his red helmet and he whispered, or not whispers, he gets close to my ear and he's like, what do you got? And I said, it's really hot and really smoky. And he's like, <laughs> you're useless. Get out of my way. Uh, I said, okay. <clears throat> I love it. I love it. Okay, so you've your fire engine may only carry two hundred fifty gallons of water, and you might need five hundred for a, an ice vehicle. Yeah, so some fire engines are designed specifically for um, very specific tasks. So some some fire engines are only designed, like in a big city like Philadelphia or New York, to go down these really narrow alleyways, and so they carry less water. It's in, and some are like designed for brush trucks for like uh, wildland type fires. So that's why I put the 250 in there, but most are about 750, honestly. Okay. Okay. So um, you can pretty much put out a standard car fire. And so when you put water on it, are you cooling it or you're not smothering it by water? You're just, you're just cooling it? Correct. Hmm. So if you get so, cold, if you get it cold enough, even though it's got plenty of oxygen and it's got plenty of fuel left, you can stop it. Right. So we're, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get the vehicle below the ignition temperature. Now it changes okay. if the gas tank is involved, right? Because if we, if you have gas leaking out on the ground and it's got um, and it's on fire, when you put water on it, you're just pushing that gas further down the road, and it may still be on fire or whatever. Because uh, we need something in that case. If it's a uh, flammable liquid, we need something in that case to smother it. But most vehicle fires are not that big of a deal. They have oh. you know between ten and fifteen gallons of fuel in it. So I, I'm just having a revelation here. When you say fuel, you don't mean gasoline. You mean something to burn, like like the, oh, yes. the material in the seats or the carpeting or the that rubber. That is a very good thing to point out. Yes, that is exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. And then there's gas. The uh, gas is a whole other whole other story. Totally different deal. Okay. So, but what, like you're saying, once the once the gas tank uh, catches on fire, the gas from the gas tank catches on fire. It, it, it's unfortunate, certainly, but it's got a limit, right? It's it's you know fifteen twenty gallons, maybe. Right, and a lot of it when we put out the fire. I mean, you could put out enough. You, you could put out a small gas fire with water, and it's going to absorb into the ground or run off into something, which is not ideal. But I mean, you can't really capture it in that moment, right? And try. Right. Uh, so if it's an a bigger SUV, fuel, we do something different. An SUV fire is worse than a VW bug fire, just because the amount of gas. It it, it uh, if if it depends if there's even a if the gas tank even has a, a rupture, which does not mean explosion. It just means that <laughs> there's a hole in it. Um, so it, that it, it depends on like let's say the 
this is a very odd analogy, but let's say the guy in the VW bug has uh, pool equipment or he cleans pools or whatever. And he's got a bunch of chlorine and a bunch of nasty stuff. It depends on Ooh. what the contents are. So oh, good point. every situation is going to be different. Um, the SUV, they just may be carrying groceries and not a big deal. We put that fire out. It takes about, like I said, less than 500 gallons. It doesn't matter how big the passenger vehicle is generally. Now, come on, Bodie. You're lying to us. We watch adventure movies. We know that all cars and all explosions explode into, or all cars and all accidents burst into flames. We know that. We know they explode. You've seen I will, all those movies. I will tell you early on in my career, or I was a volunteer and we were in a garage and there was a car fire and we were fighting the car fire and the tire exploded. And that, like, I was like 19 years old. That scared the bejesus out of me, but it was just a car. It wasn't anything, it wasn't anything big. Okay. All right. So they don't all explode in a ball of fire. I got you. Mm-mm. Okay. So um, I think I understand the standard car fires. Now, what's an EV fire all about? So an EV fire can it can be one of two things. It's one of two uh, types of fire. And I should say before we go too far, statistically, EV fires have a lower chance of catching on fire than internal combustion engines. Wait, EV, EV accidents, you mean? No, or, fires. EV fires have a lower chance of catching on fire. Or EVs, how can a fire not catch no, on no. fire? No, you're, no. You're right. To, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> okay. EVs, electric vehicles, have a lower chance of catching on fire than their ICE counterparts. Why is that? that? More sense? Yeah, why? Well, um, gasoline has a really low ignition temperature, I'm guessing. And there's a lot of more a lot more parts in a an a ICE vehicle. So typically what we'll find is the, the fire starts in the engine compartment and, oh, on a nice okay. vehicle, and okay. then it works its way through the firewall into the, the, the passenger compartment, or it starts in the passenger compartment because somebody dropped a cigarette down or whatever, and then they they went inside, and then the car catches on fire. On, so on my limited understanding of, of how an ICE vehicle uh, engine works is it's little tiny explosions, right? Yes. In, in, but, in the pistons. Right. So it could be that they just had a fuel leak, that fuel leak got on the hot engine and that put, oh. it found some way to ignite. I don't want to say if you have a fuel leak and it gets on your engine, it's going to catch on fire. Oh, but There's it's a got lot all of the elements. Ways. It's got fuel, it's got heat, and it's got oxygen. Right. And then, and it could be electrical too, because, you know, oh, um, right, right. there's no fuel in an EV unless it's hybrid. So it could be an electrical fire that starts somewhere along that firewall that we were talking about or inside the uh, engine compartment. But that's on an EV, it could too. You're saying on both, right? It could both right. be electrical fires. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of comparison. There's a lot of similarities between an EV fire and a um, ICE car fire, as long as it doesn't include the battery. Right, the the thing that okay. powers the vehicle, like a ga- gasoline, is more volatile than your standard contents fire. The battery is more volatile in, than your standard contents fire. So we're going to get into kind of what makes EV fires so spectacular. Okay, but a lot of EV, EV fires you can just put out real quick, not a big deal because they're the same kind of you know electrical fire, not not involving the battery yet. Correct. Once it involves the battery, it's a totally different thing. Okay. Okay. So you can have the same, I mean, you can drop a cigarette in an EV. (laughs) Yes. I mean, it seems like you shouldn't, but you can for sure. (laughs) Okay. So, um, you want to get into the batteries or the hybrids or, um, yeah, go, let's go into the, into the batteries. Okay. So what happens and this is either through some sort of short in the battery or some sort of um, trauma, like an impact, the battery will get into what's called thermal runaway, which there's a really long explanation, but to make it really simple, the battery cells inside that battery pack, which on an EV, the battery pack sits underneath the the floor pan. So it's underneath your feet. On a hybrid, it's usually in the trunk. And hybrids or EVs, they can run into the same problem. It's just a smaller battery and a hybrid. So what happens is these battery cells are heating up, heating up, heating up, heating up, and they can't cool themselves off. So they're heating up faster than they can cool off, and that'll eventually start a fire. Wait, wait, wait. What started them heating up? Well, it could be a short in the battery, it, or okay. it could be a somewhere along the battery, some sort of electrical problem. 
or it could be the fact that you've just gotten an accident, like the so, the Russian driver we were talking about, and so it how damaged would, how would the battery it, pack. An accident. Okay, so how would that? How would crashing it? Let's say I crash into a cement wall. How would that cause the battery to heat up? Well, so with Tesla, the newer battery packs, the forty six eighty battery cells, and the battery packs they're going to use, they're going to protect that that battery pack From better that. than what's okay. current, right? And, and this is not just specific to Tesla. This is Hyundai and Chevy and the whole thing. So right now, those battery packs in current vehicles are a little bit more vulnerable than even I feel comfortable with mm. um, if they get okay. into an impact. Because if you, let's say, and there, we use this term called intrusion. So if you get um, T-boned, we look at for the patients, how much intrusion, how much of the vehicle was pushed into the tra- passenger compartment, right? And that gives us an idea as to what type of injuries the patient may sustain. Okay. okay. So if if it gets like, if it's like 12 inches of intrusion, that patient may or may not have internal uh, uh, injuries. Okay. The same thing goes for that battery pack. If you get, if you get that 12 or 18 inches of intrusion, then that battery pack now has an electrical problem. So it's just not, so poking a hole in a battery is a bad thing. Correct. Okay. Right. Just just like if you were to take your um if you were going to take a nail and put it through your battery of your cell phone. It yeah, would you know, not I advise don't do that. that. Yeah. I, don't? I don't usually No, no. I How do you get a new that. phone? <laughs> so okay. All right. So now I get it. So once once they start heating up can't you just cool it off with water the way you do other types of fires? Yes. Well, let's say, let's say you're an, you're fighting a vehicle, uh, an ice vehicle fire. Well, through a couple of different means, we can pry it up or, or um, pull the, the hood latch and get the, the hood open. And then we have access to that fire, right? So we can put it out with a battery fire. It's high voltage. So we don't want to be poking holes in that battery because we could die. So uh-huh. our goal now is to, to cool the battery pack as best as we can. But, and it's, but that's an awful lot of energy stored in there. Correct. And it depends on if, if, if it's a full battery pack or if it's, you know, down to uh, Rod Simmons, oh. 8%. Um, you're probably <laughs> okay. A good day. <laughs> You could put out a Rod Simmons fire, but not an Allison fire where I like to be above 60. Right, right, right. That does make a difference. Just like how much uh, gasoline you have in your tank, it, it makes a, a difference for fighting the fire. Th- that was an inside joke. for uh, Rod Simmons of the SMR podcast was on uh, the co-op podcast. It's a great interview. But Rod is describing how uh, low he rents his car. He'll 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 come in literally on, uh, what do you call it? Coming in on not on fumes, but on sparks. Yeah, <laughs> good analogy. Yeah. Um, okay, so you you can put out an EV fire, uh, the battery fire with water, but it you just can. takes a lot of water, a lot it, more. To give you an idea, they recommend recommend a minimum of three thousand gallons of water. Well, if so my going... statistics are right, that's like three fire trucks. Right. Right. <laughs> Almost four, but we Almost we four. carry these things, these really cool things on our truck called hoses. So we can we can hook to a hydrant if it's not ah. on the freeway or something. And if it is on the freeway, we have this really cool thing. If it, if it's on the freeway, and let's say it's on an overpass or near an overpass, we'll hook a ladder truck up to the hydrant, and then they can hook their fire engine up to our ladder truck, and they can fight the fire through our ladder. So we're up just kind of oh, you pump no, the water above. through. The f- so we have. Um, on, on my ladder truck, we have a, a bucket that you stand on, right? And in front of the bucket is uh, two, um, it, we call this thing a gated Y. And you can hook up a regular hose line to it. So they could hook up their hose lines to our ladder truck. And then they have water to put out the fire. Like if it's really bad. And they've done that. Not mm. I haven't specifically done it. But they've done that here in the valley a couple of times to put out really bad car fires. Oh, interesting. Is it yeah. is so? Is there is there anything you can do to smother? Yes, actually, you know what? That's a really good. That's a really good point. So, um, a company, I think it's called Bridgerton or something like that, or maybe I'm just thinking that really 
a cool Netflix show that my wife likes. But there's this company that will have a they have a blanket that you put over the the vehicle and then you tuck it in and eventually that will smother or it won't necessarily smother. It will just kind of contain everything and eventually it'll just kind of go out. But you have to have it there for a very long time. It's more it's not that it wouldn't be useful in the field, but it would be really useful once the vehicle has been loaded on a um, tow truck and brought to the the yard. And then they can put that on there to help kind of prevent the rekindle. Because that's another thing with electric car oh. fires is they will rekindle. And when they rekindle, um, you have to go back out and the whole process starts all over again because of that thermal runaway. Okay. So, so you would have to get it down to where it was uh, pretty controlled. And then you could you could contain it. Yeah, I can't picture like the the videos I've seen of the the few EV fires where the batteries on fire are pretty spectacular. And I picture I picture Bodie running up with a thermal blanket, going, "Hang on, I got it!" You know, and try to throw this thing. I mean, I don't even know how you do that. It's a it's a pretty big blanket, so it gives you lots of room on in between. Uh, firefighters so you have one person on each corner and then you just kind of throw it over the vehicle as long as it's not too big and then you tuck it underneath the wheels kind of and i'm picturing just steve and i trying to put a bedspread on no 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 your corner's <laughs> caught no no you no flip it flip it <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing it, i have never used one but i'm guessing it's very similar but the problem is right you those are probably very expensive they're not practical because you have to leave them on the vehicle for a certain amount of time and then on top of everything else um, you have to be able to retrieve it. So you, we have to go back and service within a timely manner. Okay. Because otherwise, especially uh, where I work right now, we're very busy. Like in a 48 hour shift, it's not uncommon. We don't do it a lot, but it's not uncommon to run 40 or 50 calls in 48 hours out of my station, which has an engine and a ladder and a battalion chief. And the battalion chief never goes anywhere. So it's really the engine 40 and ladder. 40 to 50? Yeah. Emergencies couple- in 48 hours? In a, a couple of weeks ago, we had back-to-back shifts of over 40 calls in 48 wow. hours. Wow. So, and we're very busy at night. Uh, it's not uncommon to have seven, eight calls between the hours of midnight and 8 a.m. And do you go strictly to fires or do you go to other kinds of emergencies? No, we go to anything. So if there's a jumper on the freeway, if uh, hazmat calls, we'll go to whatever emergencies out there, medical calls, car accidents. <laughs> Many years ago, um, if anybody has been listening to Chit Chat long enough, they know this story. I was uh, uh, doing an interview with John F. Braun from my mother's uh, complex, and it was a retirement home area. And she had really bad Wi-Fi or really bad cell signal inside her apartment. So I was sitting out on next to a um, a parking lot. And while I was in, I'm sitting there with my laptop and a microphone sitting outside. And while I was sitting there, I saw this older couple walk along and they went to step up a curb and the woman tripped and she hit her shin on the, on the curb. And she had to have been on blood thinners because I have never seen so much blood in my life. I mean, this woman was, it wasn't good at all. And so I dropped the mic and John was really annoyed. He's like, where did she go? You know, he didn't know what happened because I, I yelled and I ran off and uh, and we called 911 and everything. And this massive ladder truck shows up. It's like, okay, so you could have brought one person who could lift her up and carry her. You know, this was not quite the right vehicle for the job. They took care of her. It worked, but it just seemed a little overkill. Well, and there's a reason for that, right? So if you send we could send two people to a, uh, to a medical call in most cases and they would be fine. But on the way back, we've just split our crew up. So if there's a fire, we can't go on a fire unless there, we have our full complement of people. Okay. So if there's a fire so or something efficient. else, right. It's more, more for, um, for crew integrity than it is for anything else. Like if our guys in our department, if our guys ride into the hospital, we go and pick them up because we can't do anything until they get back anyway. Even if I was thinking maybe an ambulance is, was the right answer, like one of the little minivans. You know, maybe a Mini Cooper would have been able and, to take care of her, you know? You know what? In some places, like in, um, I think it's uh, Singapore, they have like little motorcycles that they'll cruise because traffic's so bad. They'll cruise through the traffic and then they can render aid there that way. Um, where we are... It, it doesn't make as much sense. And there are more fire trucks in uh, the Phoenix area than there are ambulances. Sometimes we have to wait quite a while to get an ambulance. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So those, the folks on the ambulance would never get a break. 
<laughs> Sorry to uh, to derail you, but I've always wanted oh, no, the no. answer to that question. So um, these fires are more spectacular, right? Are they more dangerous? Are they? Should we be worried about this? Well, to the best of I've not to say that it's never happened. I've never heard of somebody dying in a electric vehicle fire where the car just decided it was going to catch on fire. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, people have gotten out and they've been fine. There's been plenty of accidents where somebody was driving very fast and they hit something that doesn't move and that's pretty bad for your body. And then they've, they've passed away and they likely passed away before the fire caught on started, but mm-hmm. it's hard, you know, it's hard to tell after the fact, but they're going to have a lot of injuries in, in those situations, right? Internal injuries. So, but I mean, um, an EV fire versus, uh, sorry, a battery fire on an EV versus a gas fire on an ICE vehicle. Yeah. I Is that actually any worse or? It's worse in that, um, it's worse, it's situational, I, I should say, right? Because the, the, what happens when before an EV catches on fire, and you can go on YouTube and, and search for this, it has this like weird white gas kind of thing that just kind of pushes out Ooh. and it, it kind of gives it, there's a i think on tesla's it gives you a warning but there's this white like gas type thing that just kind of pushes out before the fire starts and that gives you time to get out of the vehicle it's like venting all that heat and that oh, gives you time to get out of the vehicle but there are like i can i can tell you uh in you know i started doing this when i was 18 as a volunteer um I've been on a few fires where somebody was in the vehicle. However, they were probably dead before somebody set it on fire. So I've been on a few of those. Wait, I've somebody never been... set it on fire? Did yeah. you mean to say that? Oh, No, no, I did. No, uh, there's lots. Uh, oh, that's a worse Lots situation. of nefarious. Yeah, that's a different kind of situation that you need to okay. probably don't need to worry about. But okay. Um, ice vehicles, I've never, I've been on people who've been burned, but I've never been on anybody that's been seriously hurt or died. In, in those situations in um, EV fires, I've only had one EV fire. I was in the ladder truck. We don't carry water or hose for that matter on the ladder truck. So uh, we had to wait for an engine to get there. And it was the, it was just like a really easy battery fire. They just put it out real quick. It wasn't, it, was, it took a few minutes, but it was pretty spectacular when it was going, but nobody was hurt. So I haven't, my personal uh, experience has been very limited in this uh, stuff. It's the biggest thing is like for us is when it catches on fire, it takes a lot of water to put out and then it takes a very long time on scene. You just can't leave. Like there was a department in, it was in Europe somewhere and this uh, BMW kept re-catching on fire. So they just picked it up with a crane and put it, filled up a a garbage truck or a a garbage can, like a big garbage can. And they just put the car in the garbage can and left it in there in the water. So it wouldn't catch back (laughs) on fire. Oh, wow. So again, that, that's got the cooling uh, aspect there, right? Right. So it's all about, it's not about what's more dangerous for the public or for firefighters. It's more about, it's just a different way of fighting fire than we, than we did before. Like there was a time when I first started that airbags were not very prevalent. And then airbags mm-hmm. uh, started hurting firefighters because they would, after an accident, they would go off sometimes 15, 30 minutes after the, the oh, accident. Geez. While you're trying to get somebody out? Right. Or uh, people would just be in there grabbing somebody's purse and then it would just go off. And it's like that, that you get punched in the face at however mm. fast those things come out. And they were getting seriously injured because of this. And we just had to change the way that we operate around vehicles with airbags. Same thing with um, bumpers that have like compressed gas, like a bumper that's under, um, that's been in an accident or it has, uh, has been exposed to fire. It can fly off 15, 20 feet. They have compressed air inside bumpers? Well, they have a, it's a compression. I don't, I'm probably getting this all very wrong, but there's some sort of compression with that bumper. So when it absorbs it, then it kind of pushes out a little bit. back. Oh, right. Wow. It's not very much, right? It's a very small, okay. but under fire conditions, those things can blow off. I've only wow. seen one and it, it had blown off before we got there. So I'm going to give you the answer to my question. Um, I found an article about frequency of vehicle fires. By the way, uh, between 2003 and 2007, fire departments responded to 287,000 vehicle fires per year mm-hmm. or 30 vehicle fires per hour. So vehicle fires are are fairly common. 
I mean, that sounds common, I guess, compared to the number of cars. But um, then it says uh, the NHTSA did a research of fire risk in August of 2012, and their report concluded, quote, Ignition of, a, of flammable electrolytic solvents used in lithium-ion battery systems are anticipated to be somewhat comparable to or perhaps slightly less than those for gasoline or diesel vehicular fuels. The overall consequences for lithium-ion batteries are expected to be less because of the much smaller amounts of flammable solvent released and burning in a catastrophic failure situation. That makes, that makes sense. sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And that was even like the the chemistry for lithium ion batteries for electric vehicles has changed so much. Like the chemistry the was for the better. <laughs> has was much closer to what you find in a cell phone okay. back way back when than what you find now. Like there's there's all sorts there's lithium iron or uh, iron phosphate batteries that are lithium ion that it goes on and those don't require very much cobalt in them. There's just a good we can go a whole rabbit hole of the chemistry for batteries. I wouldn't be the best person to talk about it because I barely understand it. But there's it's a t- there's a huge difference between 2012 and 2021 as far as battery chemistry goes. Okay, all right. So, um, but anyway, as of nine years ago, they they seem to say that it was on par. So uh, the good news is we don't need to be terrified of. I mean, we should be terrified of fire as a general rule, but not of EV fires more than ICE vehicle fires. Don't right. drop cigarettes in cars. Right. That's the best that's the best way to go. In in the last three years, I've been on several garage fires where a vehicle started the fire in the garage. And I've been on, on I don't know how many, but um it was it's a it's enough to make a difference. And not one of those vehicles were an electric vehicle fire. Now when it happens and it's an electric vehicle inside of a garage, it's again, it's spectacular and it's contained to your garage, which might end up uh reaching into your house but most of these vehicles are are ice vehicles and i drive an ice vehicle so it's not like i'm i'm biased towards electric vehicles or anything it's just yeah that, well, those well, are just evs the facts. are not that prevalent yet maybe to be statistically significant in the sample set of the number of fires you personally go to right well yes and no um in the area so i in the specific area that i work used to never find you know used to rarely see an electric vehicle and you're like oh there goes a tesla now they're everywhere um same thing with the there's uh you know the kona evs the soul evs the Machis we're seeing more and more of they just haven't been in an accident yet to to really for me to really get it or i haven't been on that specific accident i have a very limited sample size of just the calls that i go on right so um but, but you think you'd have seen one by now. Right. And the only one I've seen is that hybrid fire. But the, the only, there's only one other person in my department that I know that's been on a, a electric vehicle fire, and that's the battalion chief that I work for. And they were just like, why isn't this thing going out? So we had a conversation mm-hmm. over why it didn't go out, and he did a bunch of research and stuff. And we put together a book to to share with other folks. But there's also another book put out by the National Fire Protection Agency, if anybody's curious. And it goes through the emergency vehicles. It's called Emergency Vehicle Response Guidebook. And it's free. It's a PDF. Oh. And you can look and kind of see what it takes to put these out. And it goes over extrication because there's high voltage lines in these. If you pinch, crimp, cut, whatever, a high voltage line, you've killed yourself and several other people. And ways to disable it and things like that. Wow. Yeah, we'll get a link to that before uh, before we go. Um, one one last section I did want to hit is I I had you skip over hybrid uh, fires versus uh, before we went to EVs. So is there something we need to know about hybrid vehicles that's different other than you can get to the battery more easily because it's in the back? Well, the, I mean they, they have the the hybrids have the best of both worlds. <laughs> in mm-hmm. in if there's not a fire, and then there's also the worst of both worlds is there's a fire. So you can have the battery and you can have the the gas. Uh, tank involved in the fire or at least the gas tank leaking because the battery caught on fire and maybe it burned a hole in the gas tank or whatever. So there's some, there's a little bit of extra, uh, I don't even want to say preparation. You just kind of have to be a, a heads up and uh, be aware that there's gas and um, battery on that, but it's not okay. any different. Like I wrote down, so the media makes a bigger deal out of this than I think firefighters do. Like this is something that we're definitely concerned on. This is definitely something we're training on, but there's hydrogen 
vehicles, hydrogen powered vehicles and mm-hmm. their personal vehicles. And there's buses and all, uh, you know, big rigs powered by hydrogen. Uh, there's liquid natural, uh, liquid natural gas, compressed natural gas, propane, like Wait, hydrogen. Gas. That's, that's the Hindenburg, right? Well, yes. And this is what happens a lot at work. So the hin- the hydrogen isn't necessarily what uh, caused that fire. So the, the hydrogen was the fuel, right? It was a very um, stormy day. So there was a lot of static electricity. And the Hindenburg had, um, I can't remember what the outside of it was made out of, but it was interacting, like it was kind of like sparking with the, with all the elect- static electricity. I can't remember. I, it, I, did a I whole think it also had wires hanging down too, didn't it? Right. And so it, was, and I, it was picking up the, the static charge from the uh, storm. Right. So what basically what caught the, and I'm, I'm going to get the details wrong, but you're, you're right there. Like what caught the hydrogen on fire was the static electricity, not the fact that the, the Hindenburg it blew hydrogen. up. It just, it just happened to be in a very, it caught fire in a very spectacular way. It wasn't but it so much. caught fire. Yeah. So right. would, if, do we need to be freaked out about hydrogen vehicles and fires? Is it, or is it more the same as an electric or a, um, a gas fire? Um, it's probably, it's different, but the same, right? I think there's only like seven gallons of hydrogen in there or something like that. It's not very much. So it would burn um, up pretty, it would burn up that fuel fairly quickly. Right. And the hydrogen, it's compressed. So that's anytime you compress a gas, that's, that's a concern. But the hydrogen itself is right now very inefficient and not very uh, environmentally friendly to break it away because a lot of hydrogen is broken off of natural gas. So that's not very friendly and it's very expensive and you get very low yields from breaking it away from that natural gas. They're working on ways to improve that and get it and to break it from water instead of natural gas and to use renewable energies as a power source versus just their grid. Um, So right now I don't, I don't but see as, it as, as far a as a fire. Deal. As far as a fire from propane or from sorry from hydrogen, is that any more dangerous than the other two we've been talking about? Um, no, I don't. I honestly don't think so. I, I saw a video once of a somebody filling up their hydrogen vehicle, and there was some there was some sort of explosion when when they were taking it off when they had done when they had finished filling up. So there must have been some sort of vapor or something, and that was pretty spectacular. I would guess that's probably more of a danger than the other stuff. Okay. Okay. Well, this is this has been really interesting. Um, I, I hope people will take a look at the Kilowatt podcast. It's become a must-listen for Steve and me, for sure. And especially if you're curious about EVs, you haven't really made any kind of decisions, or um, I don't think it's as fun to justify what you already decided on, because now I'm, I, I love my Tesla and everything, but now I'm like, oh man, look at what Kia's doing over there. That's kind of interesting, you know? Um, but it's a, it's a really great podcast. Bodie does a spectacular job of going through the news, talking about recalls on batteries and talking about what new advances are coming in, in these technologies. And I, I just love it, Bodie. Uh, thank you very much. I'm really honored to have you and Steve listen. I, I look forward to the little, um, your, your emails and soon text <laughs> after an episode, honestly, like it makes Most me smile. I was telling my wife the other day. That. Oh, actually, no, no, no. I have a very, uh, in the fire service in general, most people talk very bluntly. So when somebody mealy mouths around a subject and I just feel like they're wasting my time, if they're blunt and, you know, polite, but blunt, <laughs> I, I appreciate that way better than like, it takes you 20 minutes to say, Hey, <laughs> whatever you want to say that just that frustrates me to no end that's got to be the most backhanded compliment i think i've ever oh no done. no that's that is a genuine compliment like uh, i know but someday. it's, it's like, since, since you're not polite i actually like you certain people like it and certain people don't so uh i just like to hang out with the people who just want to hear what i have to say so that's uh that's pretty fun but i've i've enjoyed helping contribute and that's that's been a lot of fun so i like these crossover episodes here Me too. Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. So if people want to follow you online, they would look for? I'm at 918digital on Twitter. If you want to email me, if you have more questions, it's Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital.com. And then it's just look for Kilowatt and wherever you get your podcasts. I have several new listeners that came directly from Podfeet. Yeah, we got to give a shout out to... uh, 
to Mark Poley, who snaked this plot. He asked Bodie in an email, hey, talk about vehicle fires. And so he actually did a bit on his show, but I wanted to really dig in and ask a lot more questions. So we went ahead with it anyway. Yeah, it's actually something I'd been planning on doing for a while. And I had most of this stuff written before you emailed me. And I was like, well, this just seems like most of this stuff on on uh, crashing into emergency vehicles written, I guess, before you emailed me. So I was like, well, seems like a better long form than a short two minute blurb on the podcast. So thank you very much. Well, very good. Thank you for coming. And, uh, and we'll talk to you again soon. Awesome. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. This show is not supported by ads. It's supported by you. If you learn from the show, or even if you're just merely entertained by the shows, please consider supporting the show. If you go to podfeet.com, there's a big red button in the top banner that says support the show. If you click it, that will reveal to you several ways to contribute. You can pledge a monthly amount using Patreon. You can use the Amazon affiliate link for your country. You can make a one-time donation using PayPal. Or you can record a listener review, which is an awesome way to contribute. You can always chat directly with me via Twitter at Podfeet or email me at allison at podfeet.com. You can join the conversation in Facebook by going to podfeet.com slash Facebook or on Google Plus at podfeet.com slash Google Plus. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.